Bank Safety Podcast with Vance and Bart. Happy New Year. Oh yeah, Happy New Year to everybody. It's uh, 2022. Everything is good. There's no COVID. There's no inflation. There's no controversial presidency. Um, the worst thing that's happening this year is that Vance has decided to do the podcast eight feet away from his mic. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I was counting bottle caps to, to make sure I didn't drink too many beers before the the episode. I am at two bottle caps. Two. So we're at counting, so I am uh, I'm good for an economics debate. Would you like to get into one? More than anything. What do you got for me? <laughs> Um, have you heard of this, uh, uh, this character on, on the libertarian side, this Bob Murphy fella? You mean Robert P. Murphy, the economist? I do. That's okay. That's what I mean. I've never heard of him. Yeah, me neither. So there's this other guy though, (laughs) this Blumenthal guy who is, uh, just blowing it up on Twitter with these enlightening uh takes on inflation um who, who is this person yeah some bob guy was going back and forth this was this man it's a very important man so i appreciate you uh giving me this link here uh okay so it looks like he's responding to a tweet from a joe weisenthal who's also responding to another tweet from Adam Singer. I'll just read it out so that our listeners will have the context here. So Adam Singer says, Good thread from Cullen. A question I continue to have is why are so many people obsessed with making sure time travelers from 100 years ago who show up with just the change in their pockets are able to buy a hamburger today? So Joe Weisenthal quote tweets this and responds with it would be immoral in my opinion to have a monetary system that allowed a time traveler from a hundred years ago to maintain their purchasing power all that time without having done anything in that time other than store money under a mattress isn't it funny to hear a keynesian talk about uh concern about capital well, they don't have to worry about capital because they have the state and they have the corporatocracy there to prop them up. So this character, this Joe Weisenthal character, who's propped up by Bloomberg, uh, has no need for capital because they have Bloomberg to buy them 300,000 followers on Twitter, and they're part of the technocracy that keeps them in the corporate media that even when combined with the other top 10 shows in corporate media don't even have the audience of a UFC commentator. The host of Fear Factor. So even though this guy's argument is 
awful and dated. It also doesn't really matter, and I'm not sure why Bob would bring himself down to debate with someone who doesn't understand economics. This guy has brought a knife to a gunfight. But for the sake of argument, let's take away the propped up corporate media that's backing these ideas and look at the idea itself. So the time machine. So first, we're going to pretend like he is not an apologist for government overreach and spending now, right? He's actually an economist coming up with ideas for just a little bit in this episode. That little stretch of benefit of the doubt. Yes. Okay. All right. Let me get in that headspace. Okay. Let's go. Time machines. I love the movie, by the way. Even the remake was pretty good. And also my favorite episode of The Big Bang Theory. I've queued up scanners and time machine, but I'm not putting Big Bang Theory on there. (laughs) It was one of those things where I saw that episode. That was the first one I ever saw. And I was like, oh, this show is going to be good. Because I liked that episode. And then it was just me trying to find an episode I liked after that. Isn't that what happened to music in the early 2000s? Where because of iTunes, you found singles and then listened to the rest of the songs that were filler made by the label? Oh, yeah. So basically the Time Machine episode sounds like it was their one-hit wonder. It was with me, and it was the very first episode I saw. Is it the first episode? Like, was it the pilot? No. No, I just happened to come in in an episode that I liked, which threw me for a loop because then I was just chasing that same high. It was just like when I got on meth. Same thing. I was chasing the dragon. I was about to ask if you were a cable (laughs) subscriber because I think only people on meth are the ones who still channel surf through cable. I'm pretty sure I saw it at my parents' house. Was it their cable slash their meth? Yeah, it was my brother's meth and their cable. So other than it being the best Big Bang Theory episode, Time Machine is also a good plot device for economics, it sounds like? I think so. I mean, it seemed to be a zinger, at least in their minds. Like They just pinned us up against the wall with uh, their uh, their argument there, where us people who believe in sound money. We just don't have a comeback for that. So should we look at Bob's response real quick, or do you just want to take this argument as is and just dig into it? No, I think we should let Bob do his business too. I mean, for one, he's a trained economist. So let's see what he has to say, at least some of it. And, uh, then let's see what us uh, lowly manual labor type people can do to this uh, economics argument. I mean, so, you, you change urinal cakes and I, you know, pick stuff up and put it down for a living. Which means that we do the same thing. It is. It we does. Both yeah. Pick stuff up and put stuff down. Yeah. Which is kind of the way more tactical response and version of eh, a little of this, little of that. Right. Because that describes everyone's job. Anyway, so Bob's response to this was, 
why would we tolerate a system where someone buys a piece of paper called a bond and ends up with more purchasing power decades later? That's messed up. Mm-hmm. I agree. <laughs> did Bob say something you agree with? He did, but it's so, I'm, I'm that's happy so to. That's so not Bob. It's just not Bob. But I'm I'm happy to take the other position because I think there is there is a decent argument for inflation. This is Bart shooting for the most hated person on our podcast for 2022. He has got he got it last year from our subscribers and he's trying to do it again. And he knows how much I hate that I'm not getting that. So this is him right off the bat shooting for that. Thanks, I know Bart. how I know how hard I had to work for it last year, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to slack because last year it took me until I started debating some Dave Smith haters on Twitter to fully <laughs> get into the the rankings. So yeah, you, you do a good job. But yeah, I'm I mean, I'm happy to have this argument because l- let's be honest, I don't think anyone would buy that I disagree with Bob here because. Again, this argument that uh, Joe has put forward is just awful and tired and not all that interesting, but we can actually make it interesting. I think so. I mean, uh, we could go to to it through a couple different directions with, uh, I imagine you're going to try and strengthen the argument, but we could also think about it from what's the incentive for trying to push forward such a shit argument. Maybe that's a little easier to do, but it's yeah, something so you, we should you, explore too. So why don't I start with the dichotomy that most people use, which is kind of the everyman versus Jeff Bezos. Okay. In favor of inflation, it actually incentivizes the rich to invest in the economy and in the markets as opposed to keeping their cash hoarded and held on to their wealth. Because as you see in our current climate, we do have quite a bit of inflation, right? Mm -hmm. These last two years, we've got a hell of a lot of inflation. A bunch. And in those last two years, some of the wealthiest people in the world, Bezos, Musk, Gates... Well, Gates is a different thing altogether, so I don't want to muddy the waters here, but... We're talking about humans on this episode. I got you. The people who just put all of their wealth into the markets have made huge returns on that wealth. However, folks who did not participate in the economy and hoarded cash lost value. So Isn't that not the... Is that not the set of incentives we want to create? To take from a brilliant man that that we've mentioned before, um, I'd like to address hoarded cash, just the idea of it first. Once money is created and has been put out into the world, somebody has it, no matter what. So there's no such thing 
is hoarded cash. It's just an idea designed to create um, conflict between people who are saving and people who are spending. Because it every dollar is owned and possessed by another person, no matter what. If you're spending it, it doesn't matter. You're giving it to another person now possesses it. So there's no there's no such thing as hoarding cash. At least in an economics perspective. It doesn't do anything. Because if you take out stop the state from doing anything. If everybody just starts hoarding cash, so-called hoarding cash, saving, that just means the dollars that are circulating are worth more. They're worth the amount of products that are circulating. Let's say that those dollars are supposed to represent some unit of value or maybe even some valuable item. Mm-hmm. If we, instead of calling it dollars, call it productivity units, mm-hmm. then the argument would still stand that you would want those productivity units to be more and more efficient over time. Because if, let's say that represents the technology of today mm-hmm. in productivity units, let's say, let's just say some kind of output. As we've seen with technology especially, Mm-hmm. Technology has this exponential curve where a gigabyte, as an example, is not worth nearly what it used to be because the amount of effort it took to produce a gigabyte of storage and to put that on a metal disk or what have you is continuing to decline. That amount of effort goes down over time as technology advances. Therefore, if we swap out by productivity units, gigabytes, whatever you prefer, one would assume that with the advancement of technology that those units would become less and less valuable over time. You're right in the sense of a product, a capital. Um, If you take that argument and apply it, it, it is the... That argument supports deflation. So if I work to create X amount of whatever, uh, let's, let's, we're going to call them widgets, and technology advances to where you know I'm creating you know 30 times the amount of widgets that I was before, in the same amount of time because I know how to use whatever that technology is that's advanced that right now my pay scale has gone up a percentage right uh not that I'm working harder so maybe not the same amount and that difference is why the tv costs less the ten thousand dollar tv from 2008 is, you know, $50, $50 at the pawn shop or, you know, a brand new one is, you know, 100 and 
30 bucks and it's twice as good as that one, you know? And that's because, um, the technology has advanced that much to where you're right. It is easier to make these things. We have, we have invested in the capital, the machining, the, 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 um, training of people, um, the order of operations has been refined by many different competitors over this amount of time to make this product cheaper and more efficient to make. That means that less people have to make that piece of equipment or going into it. They can be used and other people can go off to do other things, new advanced technology and whatnot. If the same amount of productivity units, dollars, whatever, are in circulation when that TV was ten thousand dollars, and then now that it's one hundred and fifty, and it's a better TV, then that means your purchasing power went up. You know, however much, but like because we've inflated the money. Yes, I'm buying that TV for 150 bucks. That was ten thousand dollars in 2008. But if they wouldn't have inflated the dollars, the productivity units, whatever, I could probably get that for a ten spot. Just because it doesn't cost more to buy something, doesn't mean that inflation didn't happen. Because if the productivity advanced, but yet the price didn't come down because of inflation or because of more dollars being introduced, which is the true definition of inflation. It doesn't, your Pringles don't have to go up in price for inflation to have affected your life. The fact that they weren't able to come down in price means that inflation infected your life. I, I do think that is an interesting point. The idea that it's not that the price has gone down. It's that it could have gone down further due to some other efficiencies, but I'm happy to take that all the way down from 10,000 to 10, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say there is this ideal market where a $10,000 TV has properly deflated to $10. Why then is that not a good representation of the state of the economy such that if I do a certain amount of work in 2008 and I trade it for a $10,000 bill and I can either have that and stick it under my mattress or have a $10,000 TV and stick it under my mattress. Why would you want to reward the person who did not participate in the economy and put that $10,000 bill under their mattress as opposed to the person who is participating in the economy and traded it for that product? So, um, 
there's a lot of people who really think about this and don't tell you why because they don't want you to know why and this is why because the guy making the TVs who has established his company at this point and is at the top of the game Mr. let's call him Mr. Pillups or Sorny yeah right they have established themselves in this market, right? And you've got a gap between you and the other guys, right? So what you do is you create inflation. That gap will mean that the inflation, how inflation is created is by introducing new money. And what that does is bring down interest rates. So now, me being an established company, I can take out a loan for $20 million. And the bank's going to give it to me. Right? And that is all that newly created money. Because the bank doesn't have that fucking money. That's not how it works in fiat currency. (laughs) They, that newly printed money becomes mine. I'm paying a super low interest rate on it. And what that has done is is devalued the money of the janitor at my company, right? Who has really good ideas sitting on. So this janitor is saving his money because he doesn't have that loan structure. He's Putting it away, he's got he's like he's got a ten year plan. So when I introduce all this money to or yeah, all these bills to lower the interest rate, that way I can purchase something at today's dollar rate. Like if I'm the first person to get that dollar, I'm still buying a building at the rate of before that building before the money was introduced into the market. So I'm getting it at the purchasing power today, but I'm introducing money into it that is reducing everybody else's purchasing power. So that puts me, that puts that gap bigger. So like now the journal, the the janitor who had a 10 year plan, his plan now is 13 years. And as long as I can keep doing that, his idea never gets to until the fact it dies or I come up with it later or whatever. And it just keeps the competition down. It keeps the poor guy down. But that janitor hasn't actually produced anything in the market and doesn't have a track record. Whereas, let's say, Sorny has been established in the market and has done a service and or series of products for the community, for the market, for the economy, and has proven themselves Mm -hmm. in that way. Exactly. That's why the janitor doesn't have a a loan ability to get the same loan from the bank. That's why he's trying to save up. 
So to argue for inflation would be to say, okay, the established companies are able to, are able to, when they want to get a lower interest rate, they're able to pull everybody's purchasing power from them, a little bit of it. That way they can get a building for cheaper. I mean, a little bit here, a little bit there, doesn't sound like a big deal, right? Not to me and you, who change, pick up stuff and put it back down for a living, but to people who actually work for a living, <laughs> and maybe don't uh, live comfortably. Let's say they live with a little bit of financial stress in their life. What does that do to them? What does 10% do to them? I mean, honestly, think about it. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been there in your life, ever. Ever. <laughs> but um, potted meat and mustard. Heartburn City and Tom's, right? But it was food. It got you through to tomorrow, right? Um, that's not a very healthy way to live. But if you feel that's your best option today, if you increase that price by, I don't know, 10, 20%, like, where do you go from there? Like, what? Is this your roundabout way of arguing for universal health care? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. Because <laughs> uh, that uh, potted meat and mustard is going to wear on the digestive tract. It does. Yeah, you have to drink Gatorade the next day and eat a lot of Tums. But, um, I mean, you're talking about the poorest working class people who you're hurting first with the, with the little bit of inflation, you're hurting that person first. Like you're really hurting them. And then as the inflation gets higher, you start hurting, you know, a little bit up the food chain basically. But if that person has a, well-regulated wage-controlled job or a union job such that their wage increases with or better than inflation, mm -hmm. that would control for that, would it not? They would just lose their job. There still has to be an incentive to do it. That's what happens with, with price control is what happens is when you put a price control on something, it disappears. That's why there's countries in South America where on Wednesday they travel to the other country to buy toilet paper. Right here in South America. It's like a, a normal thing. But at some point that has to catch up with supply and demand, right? The idea that these big 
companies, let's say Sorny continues to get better and better interest rates with more and more money that's printed, Mm -hmm. at some point they're going to produce enough goods at such a high cost that they'll no longer be a profitable company because if wages are truly going down and the janitor's plan is going away, there won't be any consumers left to buy their goods. So that would assumedly naturally work itself out, right? And that's the that's the progression that the, the state wants to happen. So the state has put themselves in a powerful enough position that all the major players have to go through them to stay on top. Keep down the little guy. You have to go through me because if you don't go through me and pay me, then I'm going to make sure the person competing against you beats you. And then you die. Because the goal is by for Sorny and, and Mr. Uh, Pillups that um, they're going to be the company when it goes completely totalitarian. Like Sorny wants to be the one in with them and so does Pillup, right? Uh, and they're competing for that. They're not competing for you, the customer, anymore. The They're competing for that power. So, government contracts... Uh, whatnot they they start creating infrastructure for keeping i mean not that america would do this but like some of your more totalitarian countries they would uh get contracts with some of their tech companies to provide servers to keep delicate information about their citizens personal phone calls or emails or text messages on a database uh, using that same personal, that same person whose information is collected using their money or their man hours to purchase those servers. Thank God we don't live in that country, right? That sounds scary. Doesn't it? So let's for a moment move to another country, your favorite and mine, mm-hmm. and Kapistan. Let's move to where capital's free flowing and there is no state to. <sighs> doesn't it? Yeah. I did a good. little. I did. <laughs> yeah. So, with capital a bit more free-flowing, there are no loans, interest rates, there's no capital injection. What happens to the time traveler then? What is the clamshell sand dollar equivalent the, that we the trade? Cool, the cool thing about it is is, is it's going to move with, depending on the currency at the time, like, Maybe his currency that he held then isn't worth anything now. Maybe it's worth tons. Maybe it's equivalent, right? 
the cool thing is, is, is let's just call it equivalent to what he when he went into the time machine to when he he left. Let's let's go there. Worst case scenario, right? Um, so he also hasn't been taking from the economy. If he went through a time machine, that means like there are products that he wasn't buying. There are goods that he wasn't using. There are resources that he wasn't burning up that whole time. So even if his purchasing power was the exact same, he took, he, at that point, it's kind of taken a loss because he wasn't burning any resources. And even if it's not a loss, it's still an equal to all of society because he didn't do, he didn't take anything out of the economy that whole time. That means like the Pringles were that much less because he wasn't spending his money on them. But he also didn't contribute either. Right. It evens out. He's not taking, he's not contributing. The moment he moves back into the economy, a hundred years later, he starts that interaction, taking and contributing to society. He will make more money or units if he is more of a contributor. If he contributes more than he takes from society without out, outside influences, he will tend to get more than he's, you know, save more money. He will acquire more money. But yeah. he has created a debt that has been ongoing for a hundred years because instead of getting a product or a service in return for his work, he got an IOU and he has held that debt for a hundred years. Therefore, it was an agreed upon amount of debt for a service that he put out. So if anybody's a loser throughout that hundred years, it's, it's him until he collects. He had no, if he didn't collect that hundred that whole time, he didn't have an option to. But that means that economy is out of balance because it can't actually balance its books. There is no out of balance with the economy. It either is or it isn't circulate. Like you're either spending or you're keeping it. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. It just, just, it fluctuates depending on how much, what people are willing to buy or so without the outside influence of the state in, in, in Kapistan, when a company is creating a product that people don't really want anymore or they want it, but they don't want it for what it's being made for. So like, this point the company could continue to make it but they're they're losing they're gonna lose money because it's they try to sell it for any more people don't buy it right that company goes under it doesn't get 
bailed out or given some super cheap loan because they have been part of giving politicians money for years to get, you know, a, a new factory all of a sudden to do something else. No, what happens in a, in a free market economy is all of the ideas that are stifened by all of that pooled resources and given to the guys who have been donating to the politicians for a year, all of that is being, is being allocated where it needs to go. Therefore, there are new things being created. There is uh, innovation happening that isn't being stopped. And so if somebody's saving their money and not participating in that, the only thing that's doing is making the dollar that the other guy, the guy with a great idea who's been saving his money to try to get enough to start up his good idea that makes the money he has saved worth that much more because that the other person's not putting it into the economy that means the guy with the great idea is that much closer to making the great company that he was gonna make in the best case scenario because by your own admission, the economy without the state, if we're transporting back to Ancapistan, that economy is far more chaotic in terms of the fluctuating value of that dollar. Like you say, it could be worth more in 100 years. It could be worth nothing in 100 years. So if we use that same understanding of that chaos of roll the dice... That means that janitor's plan could go from a 10-year plan to a 7-year plan in his benefit, but it could also go from a 10-year plan to a 100-year plan. Right, it could. Uh, but in a in Kapistan, you would have uh, you would have actual signals as opposed to what we have today, which is a stock market that's designed to take from us and give it to the ultra wealthy. So what happens today is politicians vote for things that affect economics based on who is lobbying for their votes. We are not privy to that information. So what they do is they've made an economy that it's not, you don't save. It's not worth it. If you save, you're losing money. You have to put it in the stock market. And then they've rigged the stock market so they can make all the money. Plus, they're getting the the low interest rate benefits by getting the money first before the inflation hits. It's All of this wealth doesn't come from nothing. This wealth that they are acquiring from these actions is your wealth that you're never seeing. It is the wealth of your productivity that makes that dollar worth anything. So they have taken that from you and you haven't even seen it. It's a way of taxing you 
without ever taxing you. So, like you said, chaos, whatever, you don't know what currency is going to be worth. I'm telling you right now, the, the way that we live today is you're right. There isn't as much chaos because we know the currency we use is becoming worthless. So it is true that it is stably becoming worthless. But do you want to live in a world where the currency is becoming worthless? Or do you want to live in a world where you have the choice to pick what currency you want to, to do the research or to go with the masses or to do the more convenient currency. You should have that choice. So are you telling me that all of those kids on Reddit were right in that the stock market is not fair and it is propped up by corporate media and the state and favors the wealthy and has a different set of rules for large corporate lobbyists and donors and not for us everyday traders and retail traders. And we are actually doing their business by continuing to propagate their talking points about how inflation is actually good. Nancy Pelosi, would you like to answer this one? We are a free market economy. They should be able to participate in that. 